Well, if you have God's Word, open it up with me to Romans chapter 11 and remain standing for the reading of God's Word. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find that on page 946. Page 946, we continue our study of Romans verse by verse. We have finally arrived at Romans 11. So, Romans 11, beginning in verse 1. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's what we need. Please be seated. See, the Apostle Paul has been speaking for some time now to those in Rome about salvation, about the doctrine of soteriology, and specifically that God's word has not failed Israel. And time and time and time again, you've heard both Blake and I say this, well, why is this important for us? Because if God's word has failed Israel, that means you and I cannot stand here and say that we can trust him. We cannot bank our life on the promises of God if God has failed Israel. But he has not failed. There are children of the flesh and there are children of the promise. God has mercy on whomever he wills in Romans 9 and he hardens whomever he wills. Romans 9.16 says, so that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. As, as God's children this morning, if you've been redeemed, if you've been born again, this week is a week of thanksgiving, is it not? You should be most thankful that God reached down and saved your soul. That he has had grace upon you. You did not wake up and choose him. As we just sang, we were a stranger and he rescued us. God must extend mercy. God must elect or no one will be saved. But Paul's heart's desire and prayer to God for the Jews is their salvation. This should also be our desire. We should desire the salvation of lost souls. God will do what he wills, and we must do as God has commanded. 
We don't say, well, God's going to do what he wills, and we ignore the commands of God. We say God's going to do what he wills, and we embrace the commands of God. And part of embracing the commands of God is going forth and sharing the good news of Christ. We have been commanded by God to share the gospel. It doesn't matter what your spiritual gift is. You've been commanded to share the good news of Jesus Christ. You have been commissioned by God to go and to share. Souls need to be saved from wrath, hell, condemnation, guilt, shame, and sin. This doctrine is of great importance. If you go back just a few verses, Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And then Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul keeps using the word saved for a reason. Paul does not just have a heart's desire for Jews to be saved, and he does not just pray for them. In verse 14, you find he began instructing the means and the message of salvation. He instructed the church in Rome of what they are to be doing. Therefore, this applies to us today as a local church. We are saved by faith alone, but that faith is never alone. It's like the two offices in the church. Those whom God calls to serve as pastors and deacons, they are not called to a position to hold that position. They are called to a work to do. And if they don't do that work, they need to be pulled from it. Paul taught the message and the means of salvation. He says, how will they call if they have not believed? How will they believe if they have never heard? How will they hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? And then Romans 10, 17, so faith comes through hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So the word of Christ being proclaimed is the channel by which faith comes. Did you catch that? The word of Christ being proclaimed, being proclaimed by who? The church. The good news of Jesus Christ is the message in which we are to teach. The means, the how. It is the Lord's church. The Lord's church is to pray. The Lord's church is to give. The Lord's church is to go. And as we are going, we are to teach the gospel. God will elect and we must teach what the Lord has commanded That he has commanded everyone everywhere to repent and believe upon Christ for their salvation. Acts 17. That God's plan of redemption that was in place before the foundation of the world included Jews and Gentiles, a remnant from them both. That God's plan also includes us going and us preaching. That the one true living God, Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons, one essence, is a God that is merciful and gracious. He is a God who is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, but he cannot overlook sin. So Paul continues today in Romans 11 discussing the remnant of Israel. It's like he cannot leave this alone. It's what his audience could not leave alone. And even today, if we are students of the Word, we have to ask ourselves, has God failed Israel? And the answer is no. 
Romans 11, verse 1, I ask then, has God rejected His people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul's first point in showing that God has not rejected His people Israel is by declaring that He is a Jew who has been saved. He's like, no, God hasn't failed. Why? I'm standing before you and I'm saved. I'm a Jew. And then he goes on. He's a descendant of Abraham. He is a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a favored tribe. All of Israel has not been rejected or cast away by no means. You see the explanation point there. It's highly important. It's strong language. It's certainly not. God forbid. May it never be. No, he has not. That if all the natural descendants of Israel are to be saved, yes, God has failed. But not all Israel is Israel. All spiritual Israel and all the children of promise, they will be saved. Going back to Romans 9, 6-8, this helps us. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as offspring. So only the children of promise are counted as Israel. Those who believe, they will be saved. The rejection or casting away of Israel was never, ever total. Romans 11, verse 2. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know that the scripture says of Elijah how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. God's elect will be saved. Elect Jews and elect Gentiles. Many Jews have rejected Christ, but the Lord has those who are his Even today, some of the stats say that 98% of Israelites reject Jesus. Many Jews have rejected Christ, but the Lord has those who are His. He has always had His remnant. The Lord has His plan and election. He has His special love for His bride. The word foreknew carries with it a deep intimacy. It is not what God knows will happen. Foreknew means what he has determined that will come to pass. That is what this means. In Romans 11 verse 3, Paul is quoting 1 Kings 19.10. 1 Kings 19.10 says, He said, I have been very jealous for Yahweh, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. The context of this verse in 1 Kings 19, it is a very dark context. I mean, you are hearing him cry out, as if he is in fully mo- full mode of depression here. Just listen to 1 Kings 18. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go living between two different opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, 
I, even I only am left a prophet of Yahweh, but Baal's prophets are men. Let two bulls be given to us. Let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood and put it on a fire. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on wood and put it on fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of Yahweh. And the God who answers by fire, He is God. And all the people answered, It is well spoken. So you remember this story. I don't know about you, but when I, when I hear this story, it just unfolds for me. I, I just picture this, and you see them gathered. You see the two altars being built. You're like, okay, I agree. Okay, I agree. And then you have all this, all this stuff going on, and Elijah is just sitting back like, this is going to be good. Bell did not answer. Elijah even mocked them. This is what he said. Cry aloud, he is a God, either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, he's going to the bathroom, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep, and he must be awakened. Nothing happened. No fire came down from heaven. So Elijah responded by making a trench around his altar, and the trench was filled with water. And the water overflowed from the trench, and water got all over the altar. And next we find these words. Elijah the prophet came near and said, Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are a God in Israel, that I am your servant. I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, Yahweh, answer me, that this people may know that you, Yahweh, are God, that you have turned their hearts back. Then... The fire of Yahweh fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Let no one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. After this took place, Jezebel, the wife of King Ahab of Israel, they She tried to kill Elijah for what he had done because she and her husband instituted the worship of Baal and they weren't going to have it. Elijah fled and he cried out to the Lord, declaring, Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. And this is what Paul rips from in the Old Testament and brings it forth to those in Rome. Elijah felt alone. He was living to please the Lord, but he was being hunted by men. He was being persecuted. Elijah declared himself alone, but he wasn't. Romans 11, verse 4. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Paul is quoting 1 Kings 19.18. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah was not alone. The Lord had kept 7,000 men for himself. The Lord has always had his chosen children. The word of God has not failed. God has not failed Israel. I love the words that R.C. Sproul used here. He said, they had not kept themselves for God. God had kept them. Like, notice the words. 
I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. It's not that those men kept themselves and said, I'm not going to do that. No, God says, I've kept them. They're mine. They are mine. God's elects, wretched, filthy sinners to salvation or no one is saved. God elects or he doesn't elect. There is no salvation outside of his election. Why is this important? Why is the doctrine of soteriology so important? Because God keeps every single promise. Jesus did not come to die on a cross for the possibility of salvation. Jesus came on the cross to die for his children. If the Lord has failed Israel, none of God's promises can be trusted today. What Paul is emphasizing here, not only for them in Rome, but for us today, thousands of years later, is that God has not failed Israel. He's always had his remnant. If the word of God has failed, we cannot trust Romans 8.28. We need to stop printing it on t-shirts and stop memorizing it. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. God has not failed. We can grasp this word. We can print it. We can memorize it. We can write it on our hearts because it's as solid gold. The word of God. Romans 11, verse 4. I have kept for myself 7,000 men. Go on to Romans 11, verse 5. So too... At the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. There is a remnant. There is a select few. God's plan of salvation never included all of Israel, only a remnant. And these few, they are chosen by grace. As we sang about this morning and as Brian emphasized in the reading before the singing of the songs, This remnant that God has set aside, they are getting salvation from God. Salvation that they do not deserve. If you're here this morning and you think you deserve your salvation, God rebukes you. No, you do not. Salvation is unearned. Salvation is undeserved. Salvation is unmerited deliverance. So too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. It's not chosen by choice. Romans 11, verse 6. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. God's gospel is a salvation of great grace. It's not a salvation of works. Our works cannot save. If they could, grace would no longer be grace. If our works could save, Jesus did not need to come and die. But salvation cannot be found by works of the law. We learn this in Romans 3. Romans 3, 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. I love reading this verse, especially in evangelism. Do you know why God gave us the Ten Commandments? So that we would shut our mouth. Name any one of them. One through ten. 
You can't do it. You can't keep it. You failed. I've failed. We need a salvation. That salvation is Christ. We have not earned salvation, church family. We do not deserve salvation. If we are saved, we are saved because of God's grace. God the Father freely gave God the Son. Christ came. He laid down His life, taking our place on the cross, drinking God's wrath fully, dying and rising on the third day, fully paying for those who trust in Him. He freely gave His Son, and He freely gives us grace, and we don't deserve a lick of it. Even now, knowing that all that we know from the Scriptures that God has blessed us with, look at your life, look at your present sins, you don't deserve salvation now. It's all of grace. How is this encouraging? If salvation is all of grace, we need to rest in this. That means what God started, you can't lose. What He started, He will finish. He will bring about to completion. Great assurance is found by God's people when they rest in God's grace. That's why we have the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. The one true living God who is perfect and holy and just and righteous and wrathful, He predestined salvation before the foundation of the world, knowing that humanity would turn from Him, doing what is right in their own eyes. The perfect God planned and predestined the salvation of sinners. A constant remnant whom He calls His people and who are being saved, we have the great privilege of calling Him our Lord. So praise the Lord, saint. Salvation is all of grace. And not only this, heaven is all of grace. This is not all that there is. Amen, somebody. I mean, we're not just talking about God's grace that's just going to go for a short period of time. We're talking about God's grace that's going to extend and never stop. There is grace in death. There's grace in heaven. All of heaven is undeserved. Spending all eternity with Christ is undeserved. Being in a place with no sin, no tear, no pain, that's all undeserved. We don't deserve any of it. Heaven is all of grace. God's grace, it never stops. For we will be blessed to be with Him forever. I don't even understand it. Because everything that I know ends. Something is going to end today. Something is going to end tomorrow. Something's going to end next week if the Lord tarries. It doesn't make sense that eternity goes on and on and on and on. But the longer I live, the more I look forward to it. But if I'm looking forward to it, I want to serve the Lord here and now. Romans 11, 7 and 8. What then? 
Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, down to this very day. So Israel as a whole failed to obtain salvation. The elect obtained it, while the rest were hardened by God. Yes, God hardens. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. The words were hardened indicate that God is the outside source that hardens. God gave them a spirit of stupor, a spirit of insensibility. God gave them eyes that would not see. God gave them ears that would not hear. To put it plainly, God made the non-elect of Israel blind and deaf, unable to understand the things of God. Sin has consequences, and God gave them over, Romans 1. The elect obtained salvation, while the rest were hardened. And as as if that wasn't enough, Paul continues. For some reason, as I was studying and reading this, I just felt like, okay, in verse 8, Paul could just drop the mic and walk away, and it would be over. But he continues. David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. This is from Psalm 69. Let their own table before them become a snare. And when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and make their loins tremble continually. So a person's table is thought to be that of safety and feasting. I mean, when you think about sitting down at the table to eat in your own household, that's what you think about. Safety, and let's get this grub going. You think there's security there, there's peace there. But the table of the ungodly is not safe. It's a snare, it's a trap. The Jews had the word of God, but for the majority... It was a stumbling block that brought judgment because of their unbelief. The ungodly do not have peace. The ungodly, they do not see. The ungodly bend their backs forever, bowing down under grief. And the bending of backs is a little different than what I uh, originally thought of. When I thought of bending the backs, I thought of a child who was unruly, who did not want to be in the car seat. And a child would bend their back and they would just constantly rebel. The bending of this back is a person who is sloped over and they're overcome with grief. It's the bending of the back to where they're ungodly and they're saying, no, I'm setting my ways. This is how I'm going to do things. I don't care that you've given me the word. We see similar words used throughout the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 29, verse 4, But to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. Isaiah 29, verse 10, Yahweh has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, the prophets, and covered your heads, the seers. See, the eye darkening is done by the Lord. A heart that understands is done by God's grace. This is what we are to cherish and be thankful for. If you understand the good news of Jesus Christ, it's by God's grace. The Lord will have mercy 
and the Lord will harden. But let us who are redeemed be encouraged. God has and always will have a remnant. And what does that remnant do? That remnant worships Him. God has always had a remnant in who where they will not bow the knee to Baal. They will not live a life of idol worship. They will worship the Lord. That is why the remnant exists. So it is good to gather together this morning and worship the Lord. God has saved you by His grace, not just to be a child of God, but to do something. And to do something is to worship Him. You are a remnant that is saved to worship the Lord. And in worshiping the Lord, we keep His commandments because we love Him. Many souls will worship idols, but the Lord will call souls in every generation to Himself to worship Him. He will be our God and we will be His people. The Lord has not failed. He has a remnant. He has His special bride in which He dearly loves. Maybe you've asked yourself this question, does God need a remnant? No. He has chosen to call souls to Himself. God has His remnant so that we will know Him and that we will worship Him. God's children, they sit down at that table and they don't have to be worried about protection. God's children, they sit down at that table, they don't have to worry about what is coming. They don't have to worry about being a trick. God's children sit down at that table and they feast on the Lord. They enjoy Him. They know that He is good. They rest in His promises and they bank everything that they have on the blood of Christ. They enjoy the Lord and they are satisfied. God's people glory in Christ Jesus and they live lives of thankfulness because of the grace that they have received. The question is, do you belong to the Lord? That is the question. And if you have repented of your sins and put your faith, hope, and trust in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation, is Christ the one that you are resting in? It's not, am I doing enough? Have I done enough? It's not, well, should, should, should I go and do this? Look, you're banking everything on God's grace. Or you're adding in works to your salvation. It's all of grace. Think upon God's grace. Give thanks to Him for His grace. He has done it all. And if you do this, I'm going to give you a promise here. If you are banking everything upon the grace of God, you will find rest for your weary soul. And until you find rest for your weary soul upon the foundation of God's grace, your soul will be nothing but weary and tired and exhausted and you will do everything and search everything and try everything and drink everything and do everything to try to find contentment. But there is no contentment outside of Christ. Because everything else is fading and going away. Christ is forever. His kingdom is forever. And nothing can prevail it. So thank God for His grace. He has done it all. Let us go to him and let us find rest. There is a remnant for Israel and there is a remnant of Gentiles. God is building his kingdom and it will stand forever. And there is a day coming 
when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So on a day that you and I have gathered together to worship the Lord, we have an endless line of things to be thankful for. And what tops them all is God's grace. Let us, as God's people, be so thankful for his grace that we live lives that are obedient to his word. Father, I thank you for this morning. Lord, we sing about it, how your grace is enough. We talk about how amazing your grace is. We even say, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Father, by your Spirit, help us to rest in that grace this week. That if everything else is stripped away, our health, our finances, the economy of our country, if everything else is stripped away and all we have is your grace, your grace is enough. May that not just be empty words, but may be connected to our heart that we actually believe it. That as the early church was being persecuted and all they had was your grace and they were being spread across the world, Lord, they were going and they were proclaiming the good news of Christ because they knew your grace was enough. Father, your grace is enough. Because in reality, your grace is all that we have. You have done it all. And you have blessed us with many gifts that are temporary. But the greatest gift of all is your Son, Christ, who has done it all. Your love is so amazing for your church. Father, may your church's love Hold fast to the word and live a life that pleases you. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.